Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy? or a bra that's comfortable. Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Bernie Sanders shocked the pollsters in Michigan. The Univision moderators shocked the Democratic candidates. And Donald Trump shocked our conscience again. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Briefcase. We are coming to you today with new music from Beth sister Kimberly Thurman and Patrick Rocks. We switched over from our music because now that we're taking donations and getting sponsorships, we um, couldn't use that music anymore. (laughs) Basic economics. So um, before we start today, we'd just like to ask everybody to keep up the awesome work with the iTunes um, reviews. It's really been so great to see you guys reviews and it's hopefully helping push us back up into the uh, top 150 rankings of news and politics also uh, take a moment to subscribe to our email list which is pinned at the top of our facebook and twitter feeds and big news today we are starting pre-orders for the pantsuit politics t-shirts I can hear y'all screaming. It's so exciting. Um, So we've got some designs up on the website. You can check them out. And also, if you become a supporter, a regular supporter, you get a t-shirt for free. So check it out. As usual, we received a ton of material for Friday feedback. So we'll jump right into this. Um, Ross on Facebook is responding to some comments that I've made in the past about the way Democratic candidates speak about business. And he wanted to point out the sort of pro-business versus pro-market distinction, which I think is a very nuanced way to look at this. Ross's theory is that the the Democratic candidates are pro-market, but not pro-business. So he described the candidates as being interested in using regulation to protect citizens from negative externalities, keep markets competitive, keep consumers informed and safe, and ensure a balanced tension between labor and capital. To which I say, 
Ross for president, because I think (laughs) that is a really excellent um, encapsulation of how government and business ought to partner together, right, to ensure that our that our markets operate in a way that's productive for everyone. And it's so true because have you ever seen one of my favorite documentaries is The the Corporation? Have you ever seen that? It's really great. And the premise is, okay, well, if we treat corporations like legal people, which we do, um, what kind of person would they be? And they use the um, uh, the diagnostic, psycho- the psychology diagnostics, the SMR or whatever it is, um, to go through the checklist of um, a psychopath. So it's like lack of empathy. And their sort of argument is when left unchecked, corporations, and it's not because, I think that the confusion becomes, it's not if you're pro- market but not pro-business you're not saying that the people it's sort of that distinction I was making when you say you know the police departments need to be improved that doesn't mean I think police are bad people the education system is failing us it doesn't mean I mean teachers are bad people corporations shouldn't be left unchecked not because the people behind the corporations are always terrible awful people but because they're legally obligated to turn a profit not to look out for the people their actions affect that's where the government steps in so I mean that's definitely um my outlook on things. I don't I don't think it's ever a good idea to just sit around and wait for corporations to do the right thing by all of us. It's not it doesn't work out well. I think a lot of corporations do do the right thing by all of us though. Certainly there are there are those who don't. To me, the police analogy is a good one. I think the vast majority of police officers are excellent at what they do. And the few police officers who are not excellent at what they do tend to muddy our viewpoint. You know, there are there are corporations out there doing truly wonderful things for citizens and employing people at real wages and and competing in ways that bring about all kinds of innovation and good for society. So I understand. Well, see, I'll push back. I'll push back a little bit, though. I don't think it's bad apples. I don't think it's bad apples with the police. And I don't think it's bad apples with the corporations. The police, though, I think that it's right. It's the with regards to the police. My concerns are sort of systematic um, things that weigh on them, budget constraints, um, and sort of unconscious bias and all these things that affect their daily decision-making in ways that are not always really obvious. And I think the thing is same through as tor- corporations, even in the best corporations with the best, you know, really trying to do the right thing, because you have these, like I said, the legal obligation to turn a profit, um, systems that are easy to exploit, viewpoints that are easy to ignore. I think that it's more, I think it's more of a broader problem. Than that. Well, I agree that there are systemic issues on both sides. I also think there are bad apples on both sides. And I also, and I think there are well, particularly good apples in both who overcome all those systemic issues. I, I don't think of myself as pro-business in the crony capitalism sense. So when I think of the way business interacts with government and and you see government enacting legislation for the purpose of favoring particular businesses or particular industries, I think that's a huge problem. And I think that's anti-market. So I agree with Ross's overall analysis. Where I would push back is, is to say, I think Ross has a much more enlightened view about this than what I'm hearing from the Democratic <laughs> candidates. Be- well, he is one of our listeners. So Exactly. I mean, I... I continue to be extremely frustrated. I mean, to the point last night I had to turn the Democratic debate off because I just was losing all my nuance. And part of that was because I was exhausted. But, <laughs> you know, the list of things that the candidates want for working class people, I think is a good list. And it's a list that I hear and, and think that would that would be terrific. I don't see a path for government to deliver that. Putting that on the shelf the rhetoric about business really bothers me. And I think that if what you actually want is what you say, you actually want a labor force that has more skills and training to compete in a global economy. Maybe we don't. I mean, that the global economy piece is is a huge driver of where we are in this race right now, right? I, my perception, I'm interested in what you think, Sarah, is that Hillary Clinton would say she wants us to compete in a global economy. And Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump are a little bit more of the um, anti-globalization mentality. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been really we're, tr- we're 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 working on an episode on trade, and so I've been sort of researching and listening to lots of opinions. And 
um, to give a, a little sneak peek of where I'm thinking, like, I understand the populist appeal. And I think that there is a population of this country that has been left behind as our economy has changed and we have adopted these trade agreements. However, I think trying to put Pandora back in the box and trying to um, use outside forces to um, sort of force the our changing global economy into a framework that really hasn't existed for years is not the solution to that population. You know what I yes. mean? Like, I, 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 I don't think that's the solution. If that population... And I understand that there is a huge um, amount of people being left behind in this economy. And that is a problem. And we have to deal with that. But we don't deal with that by trying to slow things down. Or, you know, it's sort of my, my not the most empathetic argument of adapt or die. And that, I mean, that sounds harsh, but... We, we have to, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be help and there shouldn't be strategies to help populations adapt, but our economy has to keep moving forward. It can't go back to the way things were. And my feeling is that to move the economy forward and to move society forward, all, you know, all portions of society forward along with that economy, government and business have to have some productive working relationship. And not a pro-business relationship where individual businesses or industries are being protected by restrictive legislation. So when I say that, I mean things like in many states, um, automobile dealerships get so much regulation enacted to prevent entry into that market, right? They make it so difficult to set up um, a dealership in terms of the physical building requirements and what you can sell versus what you can't sell, um, that it's really, really difficult as a new dealer to come into that market. That's why a company like Tesla says, screw it, we're not going to have dealerships. Um, so I don't think that kind of legislation is good for anybody. But I also don't think the rhetoric of all business is bad, all business needs to be checked, Wall Street is horrible. I don't think that helps anybody either. I mean, if you look at what happened with Wall Street, not to go on a big detour about this, but government bears responsibility there too. It's not like we had no regulation of the financial sector. We had people at the SEC who turned a blind eye to everything that was happening. So anyway, I, I appreciate the feedback, Ross. I think it's an important distinction and, and has a lot of bearing on how we think about these issues philosophically. It doesn't make me feel better about these candidates and the way they're talking. Yeah. Tune in for our discussion on trade. We'll, we'll be back on yes. this. Well, we also heard from um, a, a woman who has a blog called The Contrite Catholic, which I love. About your mention, Sarah, of Spotlight. And I thought she wrote some really beautiful things in her message to us. Yeah, she really, I loved Spotlight. I've talked about it several times on this podcast. And, you know, she said just she was sort of grateful for the nuance that that Spotlight brought and the discussion of it so that it's not used to really enforce what she called one of the last allowable prejudices, which is sort of an anti-Catholicism stance. And that, you know, the, the important part of this discussion moving forward is that the church acknowledges it can't sort of fix what it denies, which is so true. And also that the movie was really important. And I know our one of our regular listeners, Lori, feels the same way, that it's it really was a, um, a testament to the power of investigative journalism, which is sort of, um, I don't know if it's dying. I think you're seeing it. I just think you're seeing it in long reads on... BuzzFeed and stuff. So I, I mean, I, I follow up a, a journalist on BuzzFeed very closely, and I know they give her months and months to do certain things. So hopefully it's not, it's just, it's shifting and it's changing. But um, I told this listener and one of my dearest friends is a devout Catholic. So you will never hear anything anti-Catholic out of my mouth. I know that it's um, a very important part of people's lives. And just because um, it's not one of mine doesn't mean that I should judge or be ugly about it i will i will push back that i think also being anti-southern is one of the last allowable prejudices too if you're looking for a very quick salon quality but not salon priced manicure olive and jean has you covered we've talked about olive and jean's mani system before it has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box salon grade tools 
your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are going to last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love, though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors, and I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick-dry polish. They say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick-dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. Yeah, I agree with that. People feel very comfortable, especially making oh, yeah. comments about Kentucky all the time. <laughs> but, yep. um, but I thought what she said, uh, there was a particular line that struck me when she was talking about how the church needs to acknowledge what happens. She wrote, the church needs to do what she is urging her followers to do in the confessional. She needs to bear all and ask forgiveness. And that has yet to happen on a large scale and in a meaningful way. I thought that was just mm-hmm. very beautifully said. Um she well and i think they're getting there and they have this new leader but it's like they can't he can't you can't start fresh like i think the the feeling i get from the current pope is like i'm gonna come out and i wasn't a part of it so i'll be sort of open and honest with you and fresh but you have to go back and you it can't just be about the abuse at this point it has to be about the massive cover-up that went all the way up to the top and that has to be a part of this sort of laying bare that i really don't think has happened yet and I think analogizing that to individuals is just a very um, rich way to to characterize faith overall. You know how how the process of um, laying bare and seeking forgiveness on an individual level is is often gradual, and maybe that's what we're seeing in the church as well. I, I don't know. I, I really liked the way she discussed all of this and, and appreciated the message. And also the very beautiful Pantsy Politics art that she sent us. I know, that we're going to put so on our awesome. Facebook page as our new cover levels, our new um, cover photo. So thank you very much for that. Her point about investigative journalism tied 
in my mind with an article that Kim sent us about how social media has fundamentally diminished the influence of the political parties. And that's something we've been uh, bouncing around a little bit in a number of episodes. So this article that Kim sent talked about how news ke- newspapers used to have the role of gatekeeping. And because of that, the party... Um, each party became sort of um, a collection of influence from party leadership, candidates, and political operatives. And all of those people, before a single vote was cast, really got together and decided where they were going to throw their weight. This article says that because of the way that social media, and particularly Facebook work, We've shifted the power in the political process away from the supply side, so the party kind of apparatus, to the demand side, because Facebook doesn't have any incentive to push any particular agenda except the one that gets the most user engagement. Mm-hmm. Because you're you're going to see on Facebook the posts that drive that deeper engagement, the person putting out the content is not relevant what matters is how receptive users are to that content. So I think that is a fascinating way to think about all of this. Well, I will say that I'm going to disagree slightly with that. I think that Facebook, um, particularly sort of at the top, Mark Zuckerberg, takes the role seriously. I don't think it's purely engagement driven. I think that Facebook um, sort of takes seriously this role of, not letting, you know, patently false things go viral and um, sort of, you know, sort of the things they do, like giving people a chance to post about voting and International Women's Day and sort of these, I feel like they they are steering the conversation ever, not, not a lot, not in any way, shape or form the way you would see with sort of print media. But I do think they take their role um, more seriously and that it's not just you know, clicks, 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 all we want is clicks and money. Like, I really don't think that that's, I think they're smarter about it than that. Well, and I don't say that in a critical way at all. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think Facebook is a conscientious organization in a lot of ways. Now, I know people who have concerns about data privacy um, and the commercialization of our data would, would take issue with that. I think they have to thread a really fine needle in um, sort of acting out of their collective consciousness and also maintaining the public trust. So it's it's a difficult thing, and, and they're so ubiquitous now. I mean, it's it's a tough position that Facebook is in, and I think they're doing it as well as it as well as it can be done. Um, I do think it is interesting though to think about how Facebook has really driven um, the power of the people, not to be cheesy or something, <laughs> compared to the power of the parties. So. Putting that together with with um, the comments on investigative journalism in the context of Spotlight, it's interesting to see how I think the rise of technology is both um, kind of diminishing and protecting institutional power. Yeah, definitely. In a very interesting way. The last thing that I wanted to touch on in the feedback portion is an article that Robert sent us from your favorite Vox about uh, white working class nostalgia as a driver of Trump's rise. And this article points to psychological polarization, which the author is careful to say that it like roughly overlays political polarization, but not exactly. And and he's careful to talk about sort of right-leaning in terms of preferring order and stability and tradition versus left-leaning being less sensitive to change and using those terms instead of like authoritarian on one extreme and libertine on another extreme. And I think that the one of the upshots of this article is to not ascribe necessarily positive and negative tendencies to those ends of the psychological spectrum and also to realize that it is a spectrum. But I wanted to read this quote from it because I thought it was really helpful. The Trump phenomenon has only reinforced the sense among many left leaners in the media that the conservative base is driven by racism. 
but I think the uptick in open racial hostility is an outgrowth of a more generalized aversion to change and suspicion of outsiders, coupled with an acute sense of being besieged and a difficult-to-articulate ache for the loss of an established order. And he goes on to talk about the tremendous change. I mean, this goes back to your comments on trade, Sarah, that the, the white working class has seen over a very short period of time. And he concludes, they are pissed off and panicky about it. And while we need not accept the uglier forms the backlash takes, we should still acknowledge the unique angst that results when the communities that most value order are struck by the most dislocation. And then he he discusses the way liberals could articulate liberal policies as being helpful to the white working class. As kind of you alluded to, um, programs that help adjust to the new world, right? That provide some yeah. support for people experiencing all this change. And he says that it's really important, especially for the Democratic Party, to articulate that white working class voters are still part of the collective American us. And ends his piece by saying they are not hicks or pro-fascist for wanting it. And if they don't get it, Trump happens. And I just thought that was a very powerful piece. So I don't know if you have any reaction. Well, I think this is what I've said before, which is things are changing very dramatically. There are a lot of changes in the way um, we talk about race in this country and with racial issues. There's tons of change with gender, um, with you know, LGBT rights, particularly transgendered issues. And there's a real push from these groups that have been left behind, um, left, not even left behind, left out, left out of the American dream. And there is a real passion and a real power behind those movements right now. And I understand why that can seem very scary to people who previously were, um, sort of running that American dream, who their American dream was open to only them, even if they didn't see it that way at the time. And I, it's such a hard line to walk. I think about this with Trump a lot because it is incredibly important to me based on my own ethics and values to say that racism is completely unacceptable. It is completely unacceptable. And even if it come, why we can try to understand where it's coming from and um, be empathetic to the fear and um, anger and confusion that is pushing those instincts. It is, it cannot be allowed. It cannot. And, but you know, another part of me has always said and, and stands by the fact that just because somebody is acting in a racist way or is racist themselves, that's not all they are. They can also still be a loving father and a devoted spouse and a good friend and have other parts of their personality. And I think that's the problem with the way this movement is sort of being portrayed is that it's very one note. It's very ignorant, racist, done. And like that's that can't be it because these people in the same way, I don't want to be left out as a liberal when in a conservative state. They, sh- they don't deserve to be left out in a country that's changing maybe away from their um, sort of understanding of the world. And I think, truly, that's what you're trying to – Hillary Clinton is trying to pivot towards when she talks about loving kindness and she talks about we don't need walls. We need to be – we need to say, you know, make sure everybody understands they're a part of this. We don't need boundaries. We need to be all in this together. And so I think that's what she's really trying to pivot towards is this idea of like – we don't have to be against each other to move forward. We can find a space to deal with your fears and um, the ways in which you're being left behind without reinforcing these old stereotypes and these old ideas about quote-unquote outsiders. Like, there has to be a path forward. And it's really, you know, scary. My friend Smith posted a really great link from... um, I think it was Huffington Post about Venezuela and like when the polarization gets so strong, like they're in um, Vox's The Weeds podcast have been talking about this a lot. Like what happens if the polarization in this country gets so bad that we can't find a path forward, that we can't do something as process driven as nominating a Supreme Court justice or passing a budget, <laughs> uh, ex- passing the budget or extending the debt ceiling. Like if we can't do that, if, 
we're in trouble. We're in big trouble. So we have to find a way. And that's why, as silly as it sounds, you know, that's why I engage on Facebook with my friends who are like, I can't believe you're actually engaging with quote unquote, you know, whatever. Or, and this is why we do pantsuit politics. We have to be in this together because it will all break down if we don't. Part of what I appreciated about this Vox piece that Robert passed along is is the emphasis on the rough overlay between um, right-leaning and left-leaning psychology with right-leaning and left-leaning politics because you've never said anything on on our show or I think in life about race that I really disagree with. Um, right. And I don't think of myself as a person who resists change generally. In fact, in my business life, I think I'm seen as a driver of change and certainly my intention. Um, So I value conservative principles politically in that I think it is important to keep government's role in check so that we don't risk um, all the things that happen when power goes unchecked, right? Mm -hmm. So I would love to, I know it's difficult at this particular moment in the uh, presidential cycle, but I would love at some point, if the true intention of the Clinton campaign is to um, create a more consensus-based approach going forward, even with a progressive agenda, I would like for all Republicans to stop being discussed as part of this um group that is being appealed to in terms of the dark, the darkest parts of them, you know, because I don't think that's where we all are. I mean, I, I heard the immigration questions last night, which in the in the Democratic debate, um, and I thought that it was very wise of CNN and Univision to put human faces on the immigration discussion. And, you know, the, the immigration rhetoric that comes out from Donald Trump Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz does not in any way reflect my feelings about immigration. So I, I guess I just think that um, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton are doing what Republicans do too, in in sort of the other side is wrong about everything, and it's important to be a Democrat. But um, when the charges behind that are charges of racism and of walls and closing borders, that that's troubling to me because I, I don't think most Republicans in in life are there. I think it is. Um, the the 30-ish percent that are really energized by the discussion of the the great, big, huge, beautiful wall. Well, and they kept, but they kept pushing them to, they kept saying like, well, isn't this a judgment on Donald Trump's character? Like they really wanted him to say like, Donald Trump is a racist and a bad person. I did not like that. they kept pushing both. I was like, stop, like, just stop doing that. Like I, again, let me be clear. I think Donald Trump is a racist. Personally, and I don't really like Donald Trump's character at all. And we're going to get into that in a second. But, like, don't push them into that. Like, you're going to, because what people who support Donald Trump hear Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders saying is, you're a racist, you're a bad person. Like, just stop. Like, I feel a little bit like Jon Stewart when he went on Crossfire that time about this entire primary campaign. Like, you're hurting America. I want this to be over. Like, you're, you're, this is hurting America right now. It really is. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, 
It could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Well, I think that wraps up our Friday feedback. So we'll move on to talk a little bit more about the race, about the Democratic debate, and some more of the Trump developments. So the Democratic debate was feisty last night. It was real feisty. It was feisty. And I was kind of surprised. So the the group on Twitter that always um, really intensely follows these debates seemed to, for the most part, appreciate the direction the moderators took. I I felt very differently about that. I I did see um, this, this effort to kind of pull out headlines from their comments. Yeah, it was very got it was very gotcha. I didn't like it. And I felt like both Bernie and um Hillary reacted in ways that weren't I mean, you could just see the fatigue from both of them, I thought. I loved her. I did like her moment where she was like when he kept saying, "Are you going to res- are you going to resign if you're indicted? Are you going to, re- you know, step down from the race?" and she was like, "That is a ridiculous question. I'm not answering it." Like, stop, stop, because the second she answers that, it lends all this credibility to the idea that she could be indicted. And she clearly feels, and I'm assuming knows more about it than the rest of us, that that's a ludicrous idea. So uh, I I really liked, and I also liked it when she was like, I'm not as good a politician as my husband and Barack Obama. (laughs) And so, um, because I just, it really upsets me when they're basically just like in her face. And they did this last time. People don't like you. I just don't feel like that's a question men get. And so she gets this again, this people, men don't like, people don't like you, Hillary. What do you feel about that? And she did this last time. And she said, well, that hurts my feelings. And then Barack Obama said, well, you're likable enough, Hillary, which I still am kind of mad at him about. So I just, ugh, I don't know. I'm over it. Well, Politico has an interesting piece out today of takeaways from the Democratic debate that we'll link up in the show notes um, that, that thought, you know, Glenn Thrush agrees with you that that was a really good moment for her when she, when she said that she's not a natural politician. And he said that what has been missing from the analysis of this cycle is that Bernie Sanders is a natural politician. People don't realize how disciplined and on message Bernie Sanders stays yeah. because he, he gets so much praise for his authenticity, which I think is there. I mean, I've said that before. But but he also is extremely focused and disciplined as a candidate, and and that gets missed sometimes in all the analysis of her style. Yeah. Agreed. What did you think about the substantive issues? Did you hear anything new or surprising last night? Uh, no. <laughs> Do you just have debate so- fatigue? Is it? <laughs> I have serious. I almost when you were talking about our people on Twitter, I just wanted to be like y'all. Are, y'all are why I watch these just so I can interact with every all of our listeners on Twitter because 
do I feel like I'm getting th- anything out of this except for just more frustration and more uh, just a deep desire to move past it? No, not really. Like it's just it's sort of like who can who can rack up the most moments and the you know the zingers and have a good sort of breakthrough. But I'm just not even sure who's watching them. So this last night's debate reinforced a point that I made about the GOP debates a few episodes ago, which is I, I don't feel like they were trying to have a debate last night. I felt like it was journalists doing what journalists do. And, you know, so so if you like the Fox News approach to really going after Donald Trump and here are, here's the video of what you said and here are my graphs showing all of your positions. Um, I mean, that's good journalism, right? That's what journalists are supposed to do in vetting these candidates. And I think the CNN Univision debate, those moderators took that approach. I'm going to vet these candidates, right? I'm going to aggressively follow up on these questions. That to me is just very different than a debate. If If you want a debate to be a substantive exchange of ideas. And I I like it when Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton have a substantive exchange of ideas. It mostly clarifies for me that I don't agree with their ideas, but I gain a lot by listening to how they approach these issues. And I would think that if I were a Democrat, I would gain even more that would aid me in making my choice. I think the two of them are good at debating, really, when they're debating. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. They just haven't done, they didn't do any debating last night from what I saw. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay, so moving on to Ivanka's father. Can you just feel the heaviness every time? Can you feel the heaviness in my voice when I have to talk about this man? Well, let's say before we talk about him too much that he um, he had a good night on Tuesday. Oh, yeah. He won Michigan. He won Mississippi. It broke my heart that Kasich came in third in Michigan, let me say. Um, I was very surprised by Cruz's performance, even though Cruz didn't win anywhere on Tuesday, or that's not true. He won in Idaho. Even though he didn't win in Mississippi or Michigan, I think the fact that he is performing as strongly as he is bolsters his argument that he's the best choice to take on Trump. Um, Now, I don't feel that as a Republican, and I certainly hope that he, you know, if either of them emerges the nominee, I'm going to be devastated, but I, I think I should just brace myself for devastation. Oh, and we forgot to mention, hello, that Bernie blew it out of the, just just i feel like put another nail in the coffin of polling yeah i mean it was very close 49.8 percent for sanders and 48.3 for clinton so in terms of delegates it didn't make that big of a difference but in terms of momentum it's a and my boyfriend got it so wrong nate silver's had her like 99 percent chance of winning michigan yeah i don't know what to say about that and and i what i think will be really interesting to see is what this does in ohio yeah he he got a big infusion of cash from it, um, so he you know he's definitely in. I for just the think long that I, I think with the delegate math though, I've sort of in the same place. Like it's just he's still he needs big. Mar- he needs like he needed to win Mississippi the way she won Mississippi. You know what I mean? Right. And I just it's a long it's a long fall for for uh, the Bernie supporters. I've been there, so uh, guard your heart, Bernie supporters. I've been where you are. And the delegate math just gets harder and harder. And I did not realize this. My friend posted this last night that she only lost. I guess I'd blocked it. She last time she lost. She was she only lost by 136 delegates, which is not a lot. No, it's not. It's not. Not a I lot. think it will be closer than we think it will this time as well. You know, I, I do think yeah. that she'll emerge as the nominee, but I think it it will be hard. And um and we'll see. The other kind of momentum story coming out of Tuesday is that Marco Rubio had a very bad showing. And I don't think he's going to win Florida and he's going to have to do something. I don't think he's going to win Florida either. And I think if he doesn't win Florida, he's he's got a tough analysis right now. And I guess I have some sympathy for this, even though I'm not the biggest Marco Rubio fan. If you're his age... What do you do here? Do you risk yeah. losing in Florida when you're not running for your Senate seat again? What does that say for your political future? Now, I don't think it's as dire as some of the pundits are kind of spinning it because people love a comeback story. So he could certainly rebound if he goes on with this and loses Florida. But it's very tough. It's very, very tough. I mean, I, I think Jeb Bush in a lot of ways got out when he did because he just... He just didn't want to take it anymore, and it, and he. I think it would have crushed him to lose in Florida. 
So it's a difficult analysis, I think, for Marco Rubio, because in some ways it's like he's got his own career to analyze, but he's got the party to analyze and the amount of pressure on him from what what we think of traditionally as the party is tremendous. So moving on to Ivanka's father, you saw this in the Daily Beast. Tell us about how he feels about his support among women. Well, so the Daily Beast has a piece about the way his uh, one of his close aides, Corey Lewandowski, treated a female reporter. And I saw this on the heels of one of his infamous Morning Joe Collins. He was asked by Caddy Kay, who I love. That's a great name. It's such a great name. And she's so smart and um, articulate and tough. So, so Caddy Kay asked Donald Trump why he thinks his support among women is diminishing. And, and that's what we saw in some of the exit polls, particularly out of Michigan. And Trump's response was that he thinks women probably don't like how tough he's had to be over the past couple of weeks. You know, people are saying such nasty things about him. They're spending all this money and he's never had so many horrible things said about him. And he's had to be very tough and push back very hard. And, you know, how he talks, I guarantee you I wouldn't be standing still if I hadn't been so tough. But I could see how women might not like how tough I've been. Yeah, I mean, it it definitely reminds me of the, you know, sometimes women just need a little slap or a little push to really understand what's going on. They just don't like that, but sometimes they just need it. It sent me over the edge. It really did. It's very gross. It's very gross, and and I think it fundamentally mischaracterizes women on a host of levels, but... I I think women and and I think there's been some and you know some statistical evidence of this. I think women really respond to toughness. What he's doing is not toughness. You know, it's it's vulgarity and it's um posturing, posturing and it's bullying and intimidation. Yeah, and, intimidation. And I think that's what women don't like, but I just sat there thinking, you know, well I thought about the two of us specifically I don't want anybody to tell me that I don't like toughness. You know, we've yeah. both given birth to children without so much as popping a Tylenol. And, you know, you're an entrepreneur and, I, you know, I'm in an industry that's dominated by men over 50 and have still done pretty well. And it's just, I just feel like, we're, you know, women are extremely tough. <laughs> just, I, I don't know. The whole characterization bothered me enormously. So let me, let me just clarify, Donald Trump, it's not that I don't like toughness. It's that I don't like you. And your little in your little tiny hands. So there. Well, so I so I wanted to tell everyone about this this Daily Beast um, article. Michelle Fields is a Breitbart reporter who usually covers Ted Cruz, but Breitbart's normal guy on Trump was out sick, so she subbed in for him during his weird um, Tuesday night. I don't know. I guess you can call it a press conference, but it was more like a QVC moment because he brought out all of his water and his wine and his steaks to so prove weird. that his business is in fact amazing and wonderful. So it, it was very strange, but she was there. And as he was walking out, she was uh, in sort of the, the flock of reporters following him. And she has a recording device near him. And she asks him whether he disagrees with Justices Scalia's attacks on affirmative action. He made a comment to that effect last December. So she was following up to see if he still disagrees with with Scalia's position on affirmative action. And before Trump could answer, Corey Lewandowski grabbed her from behind. And here's what the Daily Beast reports. Taking hold of her left forearm and yanking her down toward the ground like a rag doll. She's visibly bruised and, you know, obviously was reported to be shocked and shaken by it. Corey, as the Daily Beast reports, kind of later was asked about it and said, yeah, I didn't recognize her. I, you know, I, I thought she was someone else, which, like, I don't know how that's I helpful I don't understand how that's a defense. Right? Yeah. <laughs> assault is assault. Whether you miss, you don't get it out of, if you get arrested for assault and you say, oh, I'm sorry, I thought it was somebody else. The judge is like, oh, okay, you can go. Right. That's not how it works. Even more disappointing to me is that Breitbart issued a really vague statement about this. Now, they have since said that they're, waiting for comment from the Trump campaign, which, I mean, keep, so keep waiting. Cares. Good luck for that. <laughs> Good luck with that. But um, they, they they said something like, well, if it happened and if it was Corey, he should apologize. 
Okay, no, well, not good you have you have multiple people saying that that it happened and it was Corey and I, I don't know. I just feel like an apology is good enough when you assault somebody. Yeah, that's right. So this to me is a another another in a long line now of specific examples where the persona of Donald Trump is motivating the people around him to behave in ways that are actually violent. It's not just words. And so here's, and this is when I stop thinking that Donald Trump is this master PR manipulator and that there are actual underlying issues with his character and his ideology behind this. So this is going to sound weird, but I read this really, in, uh, one of my friends shared the idea that um, Woody Guthrie wrote this song about his awful landlord and it was Donald Trump's father. And about how he was this um, sort of um, terrible landlord and was very racist towards the black tenants. And it just sort of fit this puzzle piece in for me that maybe everything Donald Trump says isn't an act. And that he actually believes some of these things. I, I believe that to his core, Donald Trump has truly atrocious ideas about women. And I am starting to think more and more that Donald Trump, to his core has very racist ideas and it's not all just this show to get voters and to manipulate people but that he some of it is the truth and some of it is about his worldview and particularly the way the people are surround him behave I feel like is indicative of that I don't disagree with you (laughs) and on that cheerful note (laughs) no we do have a cheerful note though do you want to talk about tuesday's episode sarah oh yes i'm so excited so rebecca traster basically my favorite writer on the internet she wrote an amazing book um after 2008 called big girls don't cry which beth is reading right now i've already read um a long time ago it was like therapy for me really helped me (laughs) process my emotions after that election It's a fantastic book, and she's got a new book out called uh, Single Ladies about the rising political power of single women in America. And she's going to be on our show to talk about both, and we're so excited. We are so excited. It's going to be amazing. So we're talking talking to her Tuesday morning, which is when our episode usually comes out. So to produce the episode, it'll probably be out Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. So be patient with us. It'll be worth it. And as always, you can um, check us out on pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. We want to say a special thank you to Patty for her um, support of the show. We also encourage you to find us on Facebook and Twitter. And until next week, keep it nuanced, y'all.